This is episode 68 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events podcast. We're continuing with the 2011 Annual Enrichment Conference, Choose to Love or Die. This is session five, Wednesday afternoon, with Bruce McNichol and Bill Thrall. Thank you, Tim and Beth, for being with us. Um, I am really impressed that they could come and uh, talk with you and know that they would be embraced. This is a kind of association that you don't get everywhere. And so we're really encouraged just to see that, that kind of kingdom covenant community. It's really a wonderful thing. Okay, we're up on the screen. I want you to pull out once more your Cultures of Grace sheet. And as you look at this, you will see that we are now entering into that exchange section of the Culture of Grace sheet. Protective love is a concept that many of us uh, did not grow up with. I didn't grow up with it. And so we wanted to explain protective love to you and this exchange piece, which is a massive piece of protective love which is missing from the dominant operating system among the Christian community today in this continent and in other continents. And so if you take out that sheet of paper that you received yesterday that had the three definitions on it of awakening, exchange, and breakthrough, that will help you to know what is this middle section of the exchange. The exchange is encountering God's protective love in another person or in our church, in a community, that asks for permission to access my life in exchange for their protection. You hear the exchange? It's kind of a hand in glove. I give you permission, and you stand with me and give me protection. And in the process of that exchange, I began to experience a healing of unresolved life issues, unresolved sin issues. Someone asked us yesterday in the afternoon session uh, if our wives ever come with us. And they were just with us last, was that last weekend? In Fort Worth. And we love it when they can come. What I would really cherish is if all nine of our children could be with us. We each have three children, um, married for the most part, and nine grandchildren on Bill's part. And John is working on number one with uh, their family. And... um, I would love for you to see how that nurtures and expands into a community of people who learn to give themselves a, a space to say, I will give you access to my life in exchange for protection. When our 26-year-old Nicole, who's married now, was 14 and was a freshman in high school, she came through our great room one day on the way to the kitchen, and I was going the other way, and she said to me, stopped me, and said, Dad, you know, you've... You give me uh, permission in your life. Um, And I was just noticing that when you get really tired, you don't shout like John Lynch, and that's really fortunate. Um, (laughs) Now, she said, but you can really power up on people because of who you are, your temperament, your position, or whatever. You can power up on people, and and you can hurt people. And she said, "Uh, I was just wondering what we should do about that. 
Because all she knew was I'd given her access and she wanted to stand with me. And I said to her, well, Nicole, I said, well, when does this happen? And she said, well, that's the problem. It's when you're with people. Uh, so she said, you know, uh, I, I don't know what to do, but I just wanted to tell you. And, I, and so we talked about it some more and we, uh, we worked out an eye signal and a hand signal when we're with people. And, and when she feels like I am about to hurt people, in the process of my own unresolved stuff or my temperament, and when I get tired, then she is standing with me. She is loving me. Um, she is taking those issues seriously. We started giving permission, uh, access to our lives uh, when Janet and I had our, uh, our children in grade school because we could begin to see they had strengths that we didn't have. They had observations that obviously I didn't have. One of the best questions you can ask in this process of protective love is, how am I affecting you? I don't know the answer to that question many times. You see, Nicole was giving me protection because I had given her access, permission. And we need to have that kind of understanding of protective love in order to heal from our issues. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 34, and in Hosea 11 and in many other passages, you see the nature of God's protective love anchored in his jealous for love. God was not jealous of Israel, but he was jealous for them. And he told them in Exodus 34, I am a jealous God. I am jealous for you. And I will do this for you. I will protect you if you will trust me. If you don't trust me, you will run into all kinds of evil to which you are susceptible. Trust me, I protect you. Don't trust me, and you will go into things that you never imagined for you and your children, your grandchildren. And Israel proved God right on both circumstances, many occasions. That's where this love is anchored. And uh, it is a, a love which is, as we say here, protective versus controlling. Joel, why don't you come on up here? I just want to illustrate this. Bring a chair with you, maybe. I'm great. Okay, so Joel is from North Albany Community Church, and you're a youth pastor there, right? Yes. Have a seat. This is great. All right. Now, supposing that Rob, who used to have... Joel's job until Joel took it, if I understand that right. Now, Rob is lead pastor there. Now, the controlling love is I'm going to stand over Joel and make sure he doesn't screw up. If he messes up, it's going to reflect on me. When I was a youth pastor, Rob is saying, I was cool. But this guy, I got to keep my hands on him. I got to stand over him. Instead, protective love doesn't do that. Protective love says you can stand up. Protective love says, okay. Whatever stuff, Joel, to which you might be susceptible, because we, as friends, as colleagues, teammates, we know each other well enough, I will stand with you. I will not leave your side. You remember the image of Jesus standing with us, with our stuff out in front, and that he will work on our stuff together with us, not between us, but in front of us? That's what Rob can do for Joel. And guess what? That's what Joel can do for Rob. And guess what? A whole team can do that for one another. And whole churches can do that. 
and, and breed that kind of culture that is called a culture of grace, an environment of grace. One of the qualities of an environment of grace is learning how to protect and how to give permission. Thanks, buddy. And, and so we really want to encourage it at all levels. You realize I gave you an illustration purposely about my, uh, one of our daughter, our daughter, one of our children, because I want you to see that this thing can run through all the fabric of the church. It does, it's not just something that runs according to authority. Authority structures are important in the local church, but this will run all the way through all different lines of communication and authority and relationships, and it's a powerful thing when it does. The second part of this protecting uh, love is that the church or the protector knows that we are saints who sin. What we're trying to do is just give you a few qualities this afternoon of how to be a good protector. And if you don't remember that we are a saint who sin, rather than sinners striving hard to become saints, you won't be a good protector. Because you'll be trying to fix people. And you notice, when you try to fix people, they don't stay fixed. Notice that the letters in the, in the New Testament, it's not written to the sinners at Ephesus. Now to the sinners at Colossae. No, it's written to the saints. That's who we are. We are saints who sin. If you understand that, you'll be a good protector. What do you see here? Bats. Somebody saw angels. Yeah. It's a difficult thing when we're flipping a worldview that we've been talking about to see people for the saints that they are instead of for the bats that we might think they are. Uh, many times you'll see, you'll see an angel and then all of a sudden it'll become a bat. And this is the way it's about as slippery as sometimes this feels to us because we look at people's behavior and we think, they can't be a saint. They must be a sinner. Maybe they never trusted Jesus, you know? I'm not sure. No, they're a saint who sins. And I'm going to stand with them. But some days you'll, you'll see that sainthood in a person and, and, and you'll trust it and you'll be with them. And other days you'll be tempted to go, man, I think I'll put the sin between us. Don't do that. You won't be a good protector. Here's another way to look at this. There are two lines that you see on your sheet that are true of us and will be true of us until we go to heaven. One is we'll always be working on sin issues. And the second thing is that it's always true that we'll need to be trusting who God says we are. Now, the big question between these two lines is this. Which line do you start with to get to the other one? Do you work hard on your sin issues so that you can become righteous, so you can become holy, so you can become a saint? Or do you trust who God says you are so that God can work with you on your sin issues? I was taught top down. A protector knows which way is up. And a protector will start with that bottom line and will help a person remember you are a saint. You are righteous. You are holy. Now let's... Let me stand with you to protect you, to take sin seriously. 
And that's why we put this little uh, set of words. If you start with the top down, you will start with a law-based effort. Go from the bottom up, that is a grace-based effort. If you start at the top line and go down, that's self-effort. Start at the bottom, go up, that's God's effort. If you start at the top and go down, that's like my power, my willpower, which is like no power. Start at the bottom and go up, now you're talking about God's power. Let's take this one. If you start on the top and you go down, you're taking sin very lightly. Start at the bottom and go up, now you're taking sin seriously. If you start on the top and you go down, because that is a sin management a kind of construct, you will teach people hiddenness, which is the, the petri dish of sin and dysfunction. But if you go from the bottom up, you will be able to understand an authenticity that has teeth, that is real, that is a fellowship in the light, First John. And so that construct right there is sometimes helpful to protectors to just kind of remember, have it on a napkin, have it on a card, have it somewhere near you so that you can remember that a protector sees another person from the bottom line up. Does that make sense? Now, the next issue that we want to get to is um, this little guy right here. Um, when biological researchers were combing the uh, famous Central Park in New York, in Manhattan, they discovered this uh, scary and awesome creature and with its bear-like uh, clawed appendages, looks kind of like an alien. It's an interesting thing about this, that even though this, this guy is smaller than the dot on your paper in, in reality, but when he's enlarged several hundred times, this is what he looks like. He has been exposed to extreme temperatures, ultraviolet radiation, uh, hydrogen sulfide, carbon dioxide, extreme temperatures, all with no ill effects. It's one of the least known and yet most plentiful life forms on Earth. Another thing about this guy who's called a tardigrade is that he can dry up into a little ball at 273 degrees Celsius, which is absolute zero, and reconstitute himself, even after being shattered with uh, the DNA of his uh, little body being shattered with uh, high radiation. He can reconstitute himself decades later with only a drop of water. Now, an unresolved sin issue is like a tardigrade. And that's why when John was talking this morning about repentance and forgiveness, and Bill was talking about shame that drives our unresolved sin issues and triggers us, why it's so important. These issues need to be resolved. And they can be resolved over time. They can be healed over time with protective love. Sin management can't touch it. Tardigrades and unresolved sin issues have a lot in common. They're dormant sometimes, they're hidden, they're quiet, they're ugly. They, we can think they're dead, and yet just the right word, the right argument, the right circumstance, and they come back to life in a moment. This is why we were talking about the value of protective love in a culture where we realize that unresolved sin issues are buried alive. Protective love 
that God has given to us has been so undervalued in the community. And what we're seeing here in these couple of days is where you are growing in the stories that you have, in the cultures that you have, of seeing those unresolved sin issues resolved. Now, a resolved sin issue doesn't mean it's a fixed issue. It just means it's an issue that has come into the light and for which we are healing. The next piece of the protector's gift and worldview is that that protector, that church, will give me an opportunity to hide nothing. See, part of the value that um, Tim and Beth and Mark and Jeremy and others on the team have been talking about is the ability to live authentically, live in the light. And this protective love gives you that opportunity. It will give you an opportunity in your marriage, your family, and in your teammate relationships, but it will also give you the opportunity as churches. I was saying earlier that many times as churches when we're going through hard times, we want to hide. We want to hide the stuff in our church when we're going through one of those valleys and we're all going to go through peaks and valleys. We want to hide the stuff that makes us feel bad about ourselves, forgetting that we are saints, that we are a royal priesthood. The last great thing that a protector understands and gives to a permitter is this ability to know that the relationship is everything. Many times in a sin management type of culture, behavior becomes everything. Information becomes everything. And we lose the fact that Jesus said they will know you're Christians by how they receive and give love. I want to encourage you today as we uh, begin to model, John and Bill and I just want to model a couple other things to you with regard to protective love and the relationship that this brings. So you guys can come on up. That, that you can have this. You can have this protective love. It's rooted in the Old Testament and the New Covenant brings it to life. And it can be in your culture a typical, a routine thing of giving permission and offering protection. We're just going to talk a little bit more about our relationship in the context of protective love and committed relationships of love. So I don't know who goes first on this guy. So, I was a, how are we doing? We got a mic on? Okay. I can hear you. Guys, are we good? All right. Hang on for a second. They're bringing it up? Good. So, I was a free agent. I came into this culture, this um, talented, gifted guy who had never trusted anybody. And um, I just did what John Lynch did, and my skill at it would carry the day. And then I started getting closer into this relationship, and I realized... Um, that didn't work in that community. And I started letting myself be known, and so eventually one le thing led to another, and they started, uh, True Face started having me help writing books and, and speaking, and yet I was still the preaching pastor at Open Door, and still loving these guys dearly, but still kind of thinking, I hold my cards, 
I run my world, and nobody interferes with that. John Lynch has a destiny, and John Lynch is a free agent. Meanwhile, I don't know that they're not playing by those rules. <laughs> so I'm doing two jobs at one point. I'm part-time with True Face, and I'm part-time at Open Doors, the preaching pastor, and I get overwhelmed. It just gets too much. And nobody cares about the tender heart of this young man trying so hard to be faithful. And I'm being worked too hard. And finally, I, I, I go on walks with Stacy and I just say, this is too much. Nobody cares. Nobody knows how much I'm doing. And I finally say, That's, I'm quitting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit True Face. And, I'm gonna, I mean, I, I, and I wrote a resignation letter. I said, Stacy, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to do it. And she just kind of goes, after a while, he's not well. I'll just let him go for a while. <laughs> and so I did. I went one day and met with these guys. I set up a meeting, and they sat across from me at the table. And I slid the resignation letter to them and said, I want you to read that. And Bill and Bruce sat together, and they read it together. And then Bruce slid the resignation letter back and said, we categorically reject your resignation. <laughs> and I slid it back again, and I said, you can't. I'm an American. <laughs> and then Bill said, and Bill started crying. And he said, um, Of course you can resign. You can do anything you want. But don't you know, haven't you known this whole time, my wagon's hitched to you. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't want to do this thing without you. I feel like you're telling me something that I have to respond to, and I wanted to do this together with you. Let us stand with you in what's making you want to give this resignation letter. Don't do this unilaterally. I need you. I'm, I have made myself vulnerable to you. And Bruce said the same thing. And I had, I had just not known that life before. I talked about it. I preached it. But these guys were saying, yeah, if you want, you get to resign. But you have no idea how we view you. You have no idea the relationship that we've had with you and let us stand with you to face the things that are hurting you and if you want to go you go but we've been your fans all along we've been your friends not just colleagues that has changed the way I do life Amen. and John Lynch is no longer a free agent and John Lynch by the way gets to experience their love their protective love and they get to experience mine. Amen. Amen, John. You know, as you hear that, uh, I just want to be able to say to you that we said yesterday, this whole idea of commitment, what does it really mean? What does it really mean? Do, do, we, do we come together around a task 
Or do we come together with Jesus with our arms around each other? Think about that. Bruce and I were at a meeting with Leadership Network, and one of the men there said, how long have you guys been together? At that time, maybe 15 years. And, 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 uh, and, and the guy just looked at me and said, and what is it about Bruce that keeps you with him? <laughs> and, and I said, it's, without even thinking, it just came right out of my mouth. It's, I just trust his commitment. I really trust Bruce. I trust your commitment, Bruce. Mm -hmm. Bruce and I are not alike. I don't know if you noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) We're not alike. John and I are alike. Yeah. 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 (laughs) No, there's nobody like John. Uh, (laughs) But both both Bruce and I are pretty strong leaders and... uh, We, we put edge to each other. You know, that iron sharpening iron thing. And, and it was so hard for me. Even though we, we agreed on the vision and we were all about grace, it was so hard for me because of the way he was affecting me. I just push away from him. Because out of my wounding, I read intention into Bruce's actions. Do you hear what I just said? Because of my wounding, I read intentions into Bruce's actions. And we were, we were on a walk in L.A. It's the hardest time in our relationship. Very, very difficult walk. Because we could, we could just feel the cost of what was going to happen if we couldn't make it together. You just feel it as a leader. You just go, oh, man. And it was in that walk that that wonderful thing happened where it dawned on me, I can trust this guy. And Bruce, in a multiple number of ways, stands alongside this character who's talking to protect me. Just a month ago, I've been working with an organization and there was some tension in the organization, and not necessarily with me, but in the organization, and some deep questions about some pretty significant theological questions, and they asked us to meet, and I felt a little insecure about it, and so I said, Bruce, would you go with me? In the busyness of his life, he went with me. Went all the way on this trip, took two days for a two-hour meeting. But he did it for me. Now we laugh about it, because once I knew he was there, I didn't need him. (laughs) I, I talked the whole meeting. I answered all the questions. I, it was just an amazing kind of experiencing the protective love of a brother. And he's going, uh, Bill, did you notice you didn't really need me? No, no, I, I really needed you, Bruce. They don't know how much I needed you. Yeah. It's possible. Even in the most difficult to learn to trust commitment. And with that comes the protection. There's no doubt in my mind at all that in the years that the three of us have worked together, we have done, by God's grace, more than any one of us ever could have done alone. Just just think about the application of that. Bruce? And we have healed from unresolved life issues in ways that we would have never 
That's why we say that way too many leaders have left their organizations, um, their schools, their churches, their associations by their 40th or 50th or 60th birthday way before they should have. And they missed out on the maturing that God had for them. Mm. And they missed out on the destiny God had for them. Did you hear when Tim was saying earlier how that he referenced Mars Hill, the leadership of Mars Hill, uh, coming alongside and concurring, agreeing with him that this was the time. Amen. This, it doesn't mean there's never a time to leave, but you don't do it unilaterally, like John was saying. You come together because you're committed and you have your arms around each other. And there's a committed relationship of protective love. And that is what breeds a culture of grace throughout many churches, many associations, many camps. And it can be all yours. I just love the direction we do, the direction that you're headed. Amen. Wonderful. Amen. Thank you. We have a little exercise. We do. We have an exercise for you to do uh, in your teams and at your tables. Um, I want to try to explain it to you, and uh, we're going to see it here in just a minute. Here's the assignment. Just kind of look at that as you do it. As a team, what do you believe are the hindrances and or the weaknesses in your church right now that may be keeping you from a culture of grace? Are there theological issues? Is there leadership structural issues? Is it policy? What, what is it? So, so we've been talking for a couple of days on the issue of love and grace and environments. Now you get to do a little hard work. You need to ask yourselves deeply this question. Do you believe that there are hindrances or maybe there are weaknesses, things you don't know how to resolve? What would they be? Please take a, a few minutes now together and just imagine going home with some direction over that question, okay? All right, we're going to give you... Um, we're going to give you a chance to uh, do a part two on that same question in just a few minutes. But I'd like to be able to have you go to that next outline under the exchange and breakthrough where it talks about becoming the permitter. Um, as we have had this privilege of thinking through these different concepts and principles and truths uh, about this culture of grace, this process of protection and permission is critical. Uh, many, 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 many people uh, just assume that whenever they want to, and whenever they, quote, feel led, they have the right to barge into anybody's life on any issue. And I want to just tell you something that's true about all of us. When somebody chooses to butt into your life because they got something they want to tell you about you, I can promise you they're going to get a reaction from you. And then they react to your reaction. And isn't this fun? So I want to just say something as positive as I can. Never assume 
that you have the right to anyone's life without their permission. And if you're going to ask for it, you always ask for it with integrity. Because when you ask for permission with integrity, it means you're willing to receive a no. Or you haven't asked with integrity. If you're only asking to be polite and you're then going to manipulate that person anyway, but you ask with integrity, may I have permission? We have a corporate client that we've been working with for about a year in a couple of their divisions. And uh, they're using the process of protection and permission. It's changing the culture of a corporate climate. We have people here who have said to us, when we taught this the first time they heard it, it just kind of changed the way they saw people, the way they had, and, 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 and it gave them a, a sense of being relaxed around others. When, when our children were 15, 13, and 8, Young Life had put out a, a little family questionnaire with several pages with several questions. And, and part of the uh, questionnaire came with these instructions. It, it told who was to ask which questions, and it was always the same. You would ask the question twice, you'd say go, and then the people who were supposed to answer would answer. It came time for Dad to ask a question. Here was the question. If there was one thing you could change about your father, what would it be? If there was one thing you could change about your father, what would it be? Go, and all three of our children did this and put their pencils down. <laughs> Just like that. Oh, boy. The next question. If there was one thing about your mother you could change, what would it be? If there was one thing about your mother you could change, what would it be? Go. And they all went. <laughs> I'm not real astute, but I saw something was going on, and I said, I said, write something. <laughs> and to be honest, I can't remember at all what they wrote about their mom. Oh, she makes me clean up my room. I just nebulous nothing. Our 13-year-old daughter started to cry. And I said to my son, what did you write? Impatient. Our 13-year-old daughter was crying. She couldn't even talk. She had written the word impatient. Our 8-year-old had written the word impatient. They had an issue with their dad. But I'd never given them permission to tell them how much they were hurting. I was hurting them. So, you know, I'm, I'm me, so I'm trying to solve this problem in the instant. And I said to them, well, listen, why don't we do this? The, the next time you feel I'm impatient, why don't you just tell me? Our 15-year-old son says, Dad, you're the last person I want to talk to when he's impatient. Oh, boy. Okay. Our 13-year-old daughter, crying, painful stuff for this guy. I asked her why she was crying so much, and she said, Dad, you know, you've just made me feel that I don't measure up. You never have time for me. You're always in a rush, and, and, and you make me sad. 
one of Bruce's statements today that we all want to hear is this. For your family members, for those who need you in ministry and in life, learn to ask this question. How am I affecting you? How am I affecting you? And so brilliant dad that I am, I said to the kids, well, it's obvious we can't do this right now, but do you remember many of you when, when your children were little, you'd have these little things on a the refrigerator, they'd get an X for every time they did something well for 10 times their own, they'd get a dime, a nickel, or a dollar, depending on how wealthy you were. And, and uh, so I said to the kids, listen, I know this is really hard, but what I want you to do, if you can't tell me, I want you to write it down. And then, and then just because I wanted to exaggerate, this is many years ago, and, and I said to them, and every time, everything you write down, I'll give you 50 cents. I want, I'm really serious about this, kids. I need this. My son just totally ignored the assignment. Our oldest daughter, it took she and I some months to process this, but our eight-year-old, she went to the five and nine store in those days, and she bought a little blue notebook. And about a week or 10 days later, she said to me, Dad, sit down. You owe me $17.50. I want want you to just hear this. When we talk about protection and permission, and you see on your outline here these words, Encouraging God's protective love in my church who asked for permission to access my life in exchange for their protection. A permitter, one who is giving permission, is one who gives another access to their life. And these words at the end should be underlined in specific areas. When you say to somebody, you have permission to talk into my life in any area, that's not permission at all. And what you're really going to do, you're just going to continue to hide in those areas you don't want them to talk about. Permission is to specific areas where you're saying to some other person, I trust you to protect me in this area. Only my permission can bring protection to my life. It is a mutual commitment to learning protective love. I said yesterday, I'll say again today. Boy, when someone gives you permission Please accept the gift of their trust. It's an amazing thing to be trusted because it gives you opportunity to speak truth and love into another person. It says here that many of us are better at giving than receiving love. But if the commands of Jesus in Matthew and in John are to fulfill, there must be some love ease. A lot of us, we've been hearing all these messages and most of our Christian lives, we're to love, we're to love, we're to love. There are very few of us who have learned how to receive love. We're good at, quote, giving love. But let's be reminded right now of a a biblical principle. We love because we are first loved. 
I personally believe that there are very few people who know how to love who have not yet received love. We love God because why? He first loved us. Now, I know this doesn't always make sense, but let's talk about that for just a minute. You're not going to sit one day and decide you're going to love more. God, love God more. You're not going to do that. And the next day you're going to love him more than the day before. Let me tell you something. If you want to love God more, then let him love you more. Learn to receive love so you can give love. And as we said yesterday, love is the process of meeting needs. My permission, giving you permission, is not an act of compliance, but it's actually an act of submission. My permission is saying this, I'm willing to come under, I'm willing to come under your trust. I'm willing to let you influence me. I'm willing to do something we've talked about the whole time. I'm willing to admit I need you. I really need you. My permission goes beyond transparency to vulnerability. We, have, we know we have taught this to many of you before, but let me remind you of it. Transparency is when I want you to know something about me. Vulnerability is when I let you speak into what you know. Some of us are really good at telling stories on ourselves. Preachers are really good at it with no intention of anybody ever speaking into the story. Permission lets other people speak into the story. So the obvious question at this point in this little talk is this. Who speaks into your story? Who do you trust with you? Ah, gosh. Lord, I, I want to be a person who loves well. I want to be a protector. Teach me, Father, to be protected. Teach me to let others protect me. Love is only experienced when it is trusted. Perfect love casts out fear unless you fail to trust that love. Love is only experienced. We talked about that quite a bit yesterday. Love is only experienced when it is trusted. So let's just make this summation statement. My permission is given to those who are willing to trust others. Who do I give permission to? I'll tell you who I give permission to. Those individuals that I see who are trusting others with their lives. Um, Bruce and I were at a conference, uh, uh, on a panel actually at a conference, and the audience was made up of Christian educators from all levels of Christian education. And um, one of the gentlemen in the back, a gray-haired man, he stood up and he directed a question right at me. And, and the question he directed, he said, Bill, I, I really would like you to think about this question. He said, uh, 
Why, why do you think there is such a disconnect between our generation and these next generations? I, I don't know what you would have said, but this is my answer. Many of us in this room with gray hair, we were taught to know something so we could tell something. I'll tell you what, these younger generations, they want to receive something so they can become something. They don't want our expertise. They want the story of our lives. Think about what I just said. They don't want our expertise. And some of you are saying, look, I spent 30 years of my life preparing to become an expert. Now you're telling me it didn't worth much. No, I'm just saying it's not worth much. I'm just saying it's not the greatest priority. Permission and protection are relational principles. They begin with God. And, and I, can't, I can't help as I finish it, but to remind you of something. Jesus said that we are to love one another just as he loved us. Just as he loved us. And that love would be the witness to the world that we are his. Imagine if we as Christians would stop letting our sin define us or our presumed lack of it and we started letting our love define us. If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all and you've done any witnessing at all, I can promise you that the world has this accusation of us that we are a bunch of hypocrites. You know why they call us that? Because we've tried to convince them that our Christian lives are about sinning less than they do. What if we actually learned to love each other so we could love them? Think about these lessons. Just think about the context of these lessons. So who do I give permission to? To my children? Yeah, since that day, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Who do you give permission to? Second question. Who gives permission to you? Who trusts you with them? Bruce? The second part of this permission protection exercise that you were working on just a few moments ago takes on a part B, and they're going to put that on the screen uh, just now. Who are we as a church community at your, your table or your team, who are we willing to give permission to to help protect us as a church in our weaknesses? And this could be limitations as well. Uh, could be areas to repent of, could be areas where we're just uh, immature and we don't have strength, we have limitations, we're weak, okay? So who am I, who are we willing to give permission to to help protect us as a church in our weaknesses? Is it another church that could protect us? Is it an association team or team member that could protect us? Um, after I talk with Mark about this, I, I am suggesting, Mark, that 
maybe they do the work and then you come back up and debrief uh, our work on this particular question. Do you have any questions about this question? It's filled with opportunity. There is an abundance of opportunity in this question. So we're going to give you some minutes to work on this. And this will be something that you take back home as a treasure. Who do you give permission to? And who trusts you? Who will give permission to you? And who do you give permission to? Okay, let's get to work on that. Um, you might want to refer to part A of this question, the one you just worked on before you answer this question. Who's strong where you might be limited or weak? <laughs>